and we're going to get started. Welcome to ENN Radio, a podcast from Elon News Network bringing you the story behind the headlines. I'm Claire Schoenfeld. This week, we have a very special edition of ENN Radio because we have one of ENN faculty advisors and two-time Emmy Award winner, Israel Balderas, on the show. Thank Pascal you. Balderas, thank you so much for oh joining goodness, me today. No, thank you for inviting <laughs> me. This is, this is a huge treat for me to be interviewed by you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I've had you in my class, in my media law and ethics class, and we've had great conversations there. For sure. Because uh, you are a very thoughtful person. <laughs> so the fact that now you get to ask me thoughtful questions... Uh, is actually really fun to see as a professor. Thank you so much. You're making me blush. Um, but this, we've had this in the works for a little bit, so I'm excited that we're finally getting down and getting to it. Yep. Um, so before we kind of hop into my main questions of our main kind of topic of conversation, I just want you to give a small overview of your career. So from journalism to law to now academia, um, in my good journalistic practice, I did do a bit of research into your LinkedIn. You also did tell me a bit about a job you were fired from. So I'd love to just kind of get an overview of your professional life. Sure. And it's so funny because I, you know, I get a notice on LinkedIn every time someone sees my, my profile. Mm-hmm. And so I did see that uh, <laughs> you were on my profile this afternoon and I thought, uh, okay, I better be prepared. <laughs> I've had a very interesting career. Um, you know, I'm one of those individuals that comes from the Gen X generation. And, you know, the, the data is sort of mixed on Gen X, right? Do they want to stay in one place for a long time like their parents did? Do they want to move, right? Uh, they weren't part of the gig generation, which is going to be your generation. But certainly, you know, staying put in one place. How, how does that work out? For me, I, 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 I initially started in college wanting to be in ministry, right? Because I have a, uh, I have uh, two degrees. I have a BS and a BA, and one is in mass com, mm-hmm. and one is in theology. And there was a, there was a time in my life that I thought, I want to learn TV production so that I can do cool, fun videos, music videos, entertainment shows that have a message, right? That have a religious message. And so I thought instead of being a youth pastor out on stage, I wanted mm-hmm. to be a a pastor in what we then called emerging media, right? This <laughs> sure. is in the 90s. And I thought that was going to be my career. And uh, I took a class in college. It was called Field Reporting and Producing. And it was something that I had to take in order to just fulfill my mass comm major. And it was, uh, you know, doing packages, you know, doing stories. And it was a summer course, right? Because I wanted to get out of the way, right? Sure. Just, just take, the, take the hard class over the <laughs> summer. It's going to be over, you know, five weeks. And there was one assignment that I had to do that was called spot news. And it's something that you just, you do news, you don't plan it, you just kind of show up. And this was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is, you know, Tornado Alley. (laughs) And I remember uh, on the radio it came out that, you know, oh, there's a tornado watch, uh, you know, for tonight. And I had the television equipment in the back of my car, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to just chase the tornado (laughs) through Oklahoma? Um, again, it, it feels great to be 20, right? And to not <laughs> think about the consequences of For chasing sure. a tornado. And nonetheless, you know, a few hours later, the tornado did touch down outside of Tulsa. And I got there. And by the time I got there, I had no more uh, battery in my camera. The, the light kit at that time required battery. And I was out of power, right? So if you ever hear me say, make sure you take plenty of batteries with you, it's because of personal experience. And, uh, but I thought, you know, uh, make it to you or fake it until you make it. And all the news media was there. They were covering and it was chaotic and it was crazy. And 
police was there. And uh, I just thought, I'm going to get the equipment. I'm just going to walk. I just want to see the scene. And sure enough, I'm walking. There's cops there. They're, you know, trying to block people from entering the neighborhood. And the cops saw my camera equipment and just let me in. And I went in there, and I'm looking to see what everybody else is doing. And some guy looks over at me and says, you know, I used that camera equipment 10 years ago when I was in college. <laughs> and um, he thought it was funny that I was there uh, to do a, a project for a class. And he said, well, would you like to come into the live truck? Would you like to see how we're going to put together for tonight's newscast? And I was like, oh, my God, yes, absolutely, 100%. And I did that, and it was amazing. I call it beautiful chaos. News is beautiful chaos because, you know, everything is crazy, yet the news is there to tell you what happened. And out of that came an invitation to go to the newsroom, to, to go to the news station the next day to see a newscast from inside the control room from the other end of the news and I did that and I thought this is where I belong I belong in the newsroom and from that experience I, I got a job working at the TV station because they were impressed that I was doing that much work for one class project and I got a job working in production you know doing Chiron you know graphics and floor uh, you know uh, directing and camera work and from there I just I fell in love with news and news gathering and what started out was me doing a, for the next you know, 12 years a career going from production to producing to on-air work in different markets uh, from Tulsa to Nashville to Washington, D.C. And I really enjoyed working, covering big stories. You know, I was a, I was a reporter in Washington, D.C. Uh, during the, you know, the Bill Clinton um, presidency, uh, the 2000 presidential uh, election fiasco. And I just, I had a wonderful decade of being a journalist, both in small town and in a big city. And I absolutely loved being a, a journalist. Yeah. So then moving on from journalism into law and academia, kind of tell me about that path as well. Yeah. So I'm, so now I'm in my 30s. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to get to the next level, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a reporter, um, and I'm thinking, well, I've been a reporter for a couple of years here in Washington, D.C. I want to get to the next level. I want to be an anchor in some, in some markets. And a friend of mine recommended that, well, you know, the way to do it is to get an agent. Mm-hmm. And she hooked me up with her agent. And I had a very interesting conversation. This was circa 2000, 2001. You know, after presidential elections, people, uh, newsrooms ramp up. They hire people, and then they fire people, right, because they hire more, and then they let go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in that ebb and flow, and the, and the agent had, had a conversation with me about the fact that he said, now, look, you're a, you're a Latino reporter, mm-hmm. and there are a few markets where Latino reporters are in demand, right? You know, Latinos are still not, you know, as, 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 as um, I would say, visible mm-hmm. on air as as other people right mm-hmm. and and he told me why right um, it's it you know, it's hard to to break into those jobs and for me to move i was married at that time newly married um, and my wife was having a wonderful successful career in management working at reuters news i thought well i can't move just for my career and i only have selective choices so I thought the idea that somebody would hire me or fire me based on my ethnicity, my background, that didn't sit well with me. So I thought, I'm going to go into law. 
um, and and maybe I can take control of my career by be, by becoming a lawyer. So I applied. You know, I took the LSAT, and I applied at several law schools there in D.C. Uh, normally, you apply sort of a shotgun approach. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever law school will will uh, allow you to come in. And I said, no, I can only do the law schools that are here in D.C. And thankfully, uh, Catholic. Uh, university, the Catholic University of America, Columbus School of Law, mm-hmm. uh, accepted me into their part-time evening program, and um, <clears throat> they had a communication law um, specialization. They had, you know, you could specialize in com law. Sure. And uh, I, I, I went to law school thinking I'm going to do everything I can to be a successful lawyer, right? And I'm going to do moot court, I'm going to do law review, I'm going to do internships, I'm going to you know, do an internship at the FCC. I'm going to clerk for a federal judge, thinking that that was it. My time as a journalist was over, and now my career as, a, as an attorney would begin. And in 2006, I took the bar. I took the bar in Maryland, and thankfully I passed it mm-hmm. the first time. Wow. And I <laughs> thought that was, that was it, my days of working at Fox News, for example, because I worked during the day at Fox News so I could pay for law school at night. I thought that was over. And sure enough, once I passed the bar, I started applying for jobs as an attorney. And then life happens. And uh, my grandfather, who for all intended and purposes is my father figure in my life. I, I grew up in a single parent home. Um, I didn't really have a, a, a male role model except for my grandfather. He got sick and he had to be moved from independent living to transitional living and, and, and aid. And that was a hard move for him. Uh, very proud Mexican man. Mm-hmm. And so I was at a point in my life that I could leave Washington, D.C., put my career on hold, and go take care of family uh, in El Paso, Texas. And so I did that, um, and yet I couldn't work as a lawyer there in Texas because I was in Barton, Texas. So I called a, a, a TV station, and I said, um, you know, I used to do freelancing work as a journalist. Can you, will, will you take journalism? You know, will you take uh, freelancing work, and they said, well, we don't do that at this level, but we have a morning anchor position. Would you be interested in that job? And I said, yes, absolutely, 100%, with the caveat that I can only be here for two years. Sure. Right? It's, I can only take the contract, not mm-hmm. the three-year contract, the two-year contract, because I got to get back to D.C. <laughs> I got to be a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. And they said, sure, not a problem. And I worked there uh, for two years at uh, KFOX. It was a Fox station. In El Paso, Texas, my my father, my grandfather was doing well. He he found a place for him that he could you know be helped as he got older, and then I went back to Washington D.C. to be a lawyer, and this was uh, this was 2009, and the problem with 2009 was we had just come out of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Lots of my friends who had graduated with me a couple of years earlier, they were working at Starbucks as a barista, right? Because yeah. a lot of attorneys had been fired. Um, it was a tough economic time. And so for me to go back to D.C. and find a job as an attorney was really, really hard. Um, and yet the news business always opened their doors to me. I got a hold of an agent. Agent said, you're great. I love you. You, you have great potential. And I think I can get you a job and, as an anchor in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Uh, I'll take it. And uh, sure enough, I got, I got hired as, a, as an anchor for the Fox station in Charlotte. And at this point I said, it looks like my career in law is gonna not happen the way I want it to. Sure. And then I'm going to now be a, be an anchor in the, you know, I think at that time it was the 21st largest market in America. 
and I thought, well, this is great. I think I'll have a successful career in television news. And then <laughs> life happens even more. <laughs> it always does, Claire. It always does. <laughs> that is yeah. one thing I've learned, especially in our discussions, is that life always seems to push you in new but exciting directions and the next stage of your career. Yeah, I would <laughs> say the next stage of my career was the most painful, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, I call 2013 uh, my Pilgrim's Progress year. You know, Pilgrim's Progress, it's, uh, it's a book, right, about a character that uh, goes down into the, the depth of hell and somehow finds redemption, right? And that was what happened to me. Um, in 2012, uh, I was working, again, very successful uh, anchor in, in Charlotte, and I was working, um, we were, we were, you know, career-wise, I had success. But I, but I had a, a, a hole in my life because my wife and I had been trying to have kids uh, for now five years. And, uh, you know, uh, anybody who goes through that process, there's, there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with that. Uh, you know, medically, there was no reason why we couldn't have children. Um, we were fine physically. But um, for some reason, just the cards weren't there for us, right? And so we decided that perhaps maybe... Uh, and for me personally, you know, that God was calling us to to adopt, right? Mm -hmm. That we could we could be parents to children who really need that that support. And so we went through the adoption process from the summer of 2012 through 2013. And you know, when you go through the adoption process, you know, you, you it's it's almost like you can pick, you know, what kind of child do you want? What kind of race do you want? What kind of eyes of colors and all this stuff? We were like, look, we just we would love to be parents to a Hispanic. Boy, girl, doesn't matter. We want to love a, a Hispanic child who needs the, the loving parents. And so you put, you know, uh, when you are adopting, you put together a book, and you're trying to tell people why they should pick you, right? And, you know, for my wife, you know, she has a master's, you know, in epidemiology, you know, public health, and I'm a lawyer. And so we, we the, the social worker that was helping us, she was like, oh, you will have a, a child by thanksgiving of 2012 and mm -hmm. and during thanksgiving you'll be able to show the kid to <laughs> all your family and we were so excited we were so thrilled and thanksgiving came and went and christmas came and went and for some reason people weren't selecting us <laughs> to be their choice for parent and and that's a hard thing right that emotionally and mentally that, that, that that's a hard thing and then 2013 hit and that was the year of hell because <laughs> In January, uh, we got a scare. We thought that my wife might have breast cancer. Then in March, sorry, in, in February, the landlords who owned the house we were renting from, they, they, we were paying them rent, but for months, they weren't paying the bank, and the bank repossessed their home. Mm -hmm. And so the bank was telling us that we had to, number one, pay up, you know, pay up the mortgage, which as a lawyer, I said, you know, no, you can't do that. And so, well, you, we can kick you out, which as a lawyer, I'm like, no, you can't do that. And of course, I'm fighting the bank. Uh, they thought they could take advantage of us. And then in March, my grandfather died. And so in the midst of what I call you know, a mental health crisis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one day I'm in the newsroom and it turned, you know, it was, it was a innocuous day. Uh, you know, I'm on air, I'm, you know. Um, the technical director punches camera two, instead it's camera one, my co-anchor is reading, I'm on camera. It's a mistake that people make all the time. Mm -hmm. But on that specific day, you know, it had been 
a year of just stress and not reading the signs and not being able to see that I'm not healthy emotionally and mentally. And, uh, and the station that I was working at had lost its affiliation to, to Fox and it was becoming a CW station. You know, people aren't going to watch anymore. What's going to happen to my career? My contract was coming up. I thought my agent could get me a job in other stations. He wasn't getting me anything. And on that day, when the technical director made a mistake on air afterwards, you know, the technical director came into the newsroom. He thought, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And he thought he was laughing. He thought he was a joke. And I blew up. I blew up, you know, um, yelling at him, screaming. It was, you know, it was not the best day of my life, actually. And I was mean and I was cruel. And everything that was within me that had caused me to be unhealthy mentally uh, came out that day. And the consequences was that, you know, my former employer uh, wasn't going to tolerate that kind of toxic environment. And so, you know, I was fired. And it was very public, right, because I'm a, an mm -hmm. anchor in Charlotte. And, you know, the Charlotte Observer wrote about it. And, you know, I was very arrogant about it. You know, they fired me for the wrong reasons. They're targeting me. And it took me about a year to go, no, I got fired because I screwed up that day. Um, and it was my mistake. And it cost me, cost me my career in Charlotte. Now, I did say this was Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> you go to hell. But the character in Pilgrim's Progress finds redemption. I was fired on May, uh, May 10th, I think, May 11th. Um, and two months later, we found out that my wife was pregnant. And uh, And so... It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing because I'm unemployed. <laughs> no one wants to hire me. I'm not licensed as an attorney in North Carolina, and yet I was going to be a father. Mm -hmm. I was going to be what I finally wanted to be. And, and you know, because you've been in class, mm -hmm. that my daughter is a huge part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And on that day, I found out I was going to be a dad, and all the problems of the world went away. Um, and I still had to find a way back to, to, you know, find a career in television news. But, you know, I recognized that I should have recognized mm -hmm. how unhealthy I was mentally. And I think for me now, that is why it's, I take mental health very seriously. Mm -hmm. I take the concerns of my students in that arena very seriously because I remember what it was like to not recognize the signs that you're in, under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. You need to take a break. And if somebody had said, listen, before you blow up, let me, let me help you, right? Go to counseling. Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody. Tell them about your fears, your shame, the struggles you're going through. I think things might have happened in a different way. Wow. I've heard bits and pieces of the story, so this is my first time getting to hear the entirety of it. So fast forward. Now you're in academics yeah. and ac academia. Um, I really want to talk about kind of Number one, mental health, obviously, kind of how you're able to instill that kind of safe space into your students. But as a general, what have you learned from your professional life and what are those skills and mindsets and lessons that you hope to instill in your students? Number one, certainly it's the word pivot. You have to be ready to pivot at a moment's notice. I think specifically, you know, I, I came into academia in 2017. Um, you know, after another stint in television news, um, and that one was more of, you know, do I want another job as an anchor in the evening? That's success, but that also means you're not showing up to basketball games and soccer games for your daughter. And so academia provided a, I can spend more time with my kid, right? I'm only going to do this once. Um, so it's this idea that you pivot because 
you have priorities. You got you to gotta find your priorities, right? What's your why? What's your ethic code? What's your, what's, what's the mor- what are the morals that are driving you? And I think to me, the idea of pivoting is something that I try to instill in my students because I think post-COVID, you're going to find a world that is very uncertain. The, the, I was going to say my kids, <laughs> my students still are, remain uncertain, right? But as I tell my students, the time that, y- that we had in the past for a generation to find themselves or, you know, to kind of take a break, I, I don't think, I don't think that's possible. We have major problems in the world. And at Elon, we make big plans for you, right? Mm-hmm. We want you to succeed. We know you're going to have the keys to several kingdoms um, because you have access, right? Uh, maybe you come from a well, well economic family or, or you come from parents that know what it means to have success. So because of that high standard, I try to tell my students at any point you're going to have to be able to pivot. And that's okay because whatever skills you learn today, a year from now, three years from now, it's going to be valuable 10 years later, right? So that's one, pivot. Number two, I think to your question about mental health, you just, you got to keep checking yourself over and over. How am I doing, right? And to have people in your life that you feel vulnerable to, to be able to say, can you tell me what you see, right? So pivot, vulnerability. The second word is vulnerability. And that is, you know, we can't do this alone. We have to have friends. We have to have colleagues. We have to have family. And, and these are people that, you know, it's sort of the, um, I can't think of the author right off the bat. I knew this was going to happen to me. Uh, the cat in the hat. Dr. Seuss. Do- thank you. It's <laughs> the Dr. Seuss principle, right? Uh, those that mind don't matter, and those that matter don't, don't mind. Matter. And so you got to have those kinds of people that, that if they say to you, listen, I'm worried about you, mm-hmm. that it comes from a place of genuine empathy and that you will be okay to be vulnerable with them to say, thank you. Will you help me to get that help that you think I need? And, and that's okay. Um, so, you know, we're not in this alone. And then finally, after you learn to pivot, after you learn to be vulnerable, you really got to understand the most important thing, and that is you. What is your calling? What are you meant to do? Because I truly believe, whether you believe in the universe, whether you believe in some power out there, whether you believe in God, whatever, whatever higher power you believe in, I truly believe that there's a purpose for you at this time, at this place, right? There's something amazing and unique about you and who you are. You are already a victor based on just your human anatomy, right? What you overcame to exist, what you overcame to be here, what, you, what you're doing every day to say, I matter and the people around me matter. That is sort of the next big challenge for everybody is to understand that I'm good, uh, and that I'm that I'm worth it, and that I matter uh, now to do something amazing. And so I try to tell my students, find find that thing, find the you in you. And if you can, then it doesn't matter how much you pivot, it doesn't matter how much you you come across, you will always find a joy, right? If you find purpose, you find joy. And I think beyond the teaching, the subject matters of journalism and First mm-hmm. Amendment and ethics, it, I think. Nowadays, education is about those mentorship relationships with your students 
because that's not a three-year or four-year thing. That's a lifetime thing. And I love the mentorship. Of all the things that I do, I teach. I love to teach uh, scholarly work. I like mm-hmm. to be a big thinker. But it's the mentorship that matters most to me because those are the relationships that I look back and I go, that professor, that colleague, that stranger helped me to get here. Absolutely. Outside of obviously doing this podcast and being a student, I work as a tour guide, and the biggest thing I always talk about is how special that mentorship is. Um, And that was the biggest thing that I was looking for um, coming to university. But to pivot slightly, another big thing I wanted to work on coming to university was being heavily involved in collegiate journalism. Obviously, that's why we're sitting in this room recording this podcast today. Um, Can you kind of just talk about specifically in regards to Elon News Network, but also, as a general, what are the benefits of really digging in to collegiate journalism? Obviously, that's how you kind of got your start and how many of my friends who are in this room and now graduated have been able to be successful. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm on the board of the Society of Professional Journalists, uh, Journalism, um, and I think for me, the First Amendment matters, right? And, and what we do as journalists matters tremendously because I think people, you know, in a democratic society, people want to be informed so that they can make the best decisions possible so that we can be a free people, right? Yeah, okay, that's, that's the <laughs> textbook definition of what we do. Here's, here's the reality. The reality is, is that we need people in society that looks at all power structures, and I mean all power structures, from left to right, from politicians on the Republican side to the Democrats, to questions of race, of color, of creed, of religion, any orthodoxy, we need people to hold those structures accountable. And so journalism in America is one of those industries that is specifically protected by the Constitution so that it can hold the powerful accountable, right? And so to me, when I look at the future, technology is going to take the jobs of many people. Right, artificial intelligence is now the big thing. Right, ChatGPT is mm-hmm. now the big thing. We're all talking about it. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence has been around for a couple of years, but what ChatGPT has done, it has now consumerized technology. We're all talking about artificial intelligence. How easy it makes us, helps us to write a story, mm-hmm. write a paper, um, you know, put together a grocery list. <laughs> but what ChatGPT and artificial intelligence can't do is it can't be human, mm-hmm. right? It can't offer that ability to offer critical thinking and to look at empathy and to interview somebody and look them in the eye and say, I see you and I want to hear your story. And so, uh, you know, here in the, in the, in the studio room, I've, I've got my iPhone and I'm looking at it. And just today, I posted um, a, hey, by the way, uh, the Associated Press is going to put a talk out in March 2nd, uh, and they're going to be talking about all the AI projects that they are doing with local newsrooms, right? And, for example, um, you know, the Minnesota newspaper, the Brainerd Dispatch, will now have AI to automate writing of public safety incidents into their content management system. That's a job that's lost. There was a person who used to do that. Now AI is going to do that. Uh, publication of Spanish language news alerts using National Weather Service data in English by the newspaper El Vocero de Puerto Rico, right? Another job loss, right? Um, automated transcriptions of recorded videos and summarizing the transcripts 
to create an article's initial frameworks at KSAT in San Antonio. That's logging video. That's what reporters used to do to pick sound bites to do stories. So what's my point? My point is that technology will make it easier for us to gather the data, to even write the stories. But the human element of journalism is going to continue to be, number one, to smell BS. Mm-hmm. when the power structures are, are trying to take away freedom of individuals, to, to understand human, human connections and human stories, right? It's that ability that when you go out and you're like, that's a great story, you understand that. And then it's this idea that people will still trust us over a machine. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the data, people don't trust journalism in America today. And there's a reason for that. And there's conversations being had as to why, you know, are we not being objective? Are we being too much on the right, too much on the left? I put aside that because that's noise. What I tell my students is, as a journalist, we still need you. We need you and all of you to take the future, to take all the tools of the future and go, but I will still be that person that is asking questions, that is raising my hands, that is holding people accountable, and that has this like incredible yearning to to be inquisitive, right? Um, to be able to look at life and go, interesting. I have questions about that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Lasso has a has a <laughs> famous video, right, out there from a show where he is saying, you know, if people were just curious, they could learn a lot. Artificial intelligence cannot be curious. Yeah. It's it's incapable. Journalists can be curious and so for me what I tell my students is be curious stay curious right and you're gonna be an amazing journalist I love that I mean that kind of also fully kind of wraps into what my my last questions for you is kind of looking at the future of journalism and I think you kind of summarized it beautifully is just the capacity to stay curious to stay aware to stay questioning more than anything a hundred percent and so we are able to always be here and to tell you we've seen the changes in the past, right? People said the internet's gonna take away jobs of journalists. Well, no, it did not. Well, you know, we look at the past and we say, well, you know, television is going to change the way things are. The internet, the tablet, the phone, no. Nothing has really changed. It just, it it reorients reorients our our focus. Um, But because we're here and we're telling you, we've been there, done that, seen it, here's what we think we can be, right? We can be futurist, and we can tell you, here's what you're going to face, the big parameters. But when you do, the fact that you were here at Elon, and we taught you, and we loved you, and we cared for you, you're going to succeed. And then we'd love to hear back from alum who then come back and go, you know, thank you. Thank you for teaching me that. And guess what I did? Because that's that's what we love. That's why we're here. We're here so that, the, you know, Claire, when I hear Claire on NPR and she says, <laughs> you know, this is Morning Edition from Washington, <laughs> D.C., and I hear that voice, I'm going to be like, yes, <laughs> yes, she That's did it. That's the dream. She, right, she did it. Or, you know, and it could be, you know, Morning Edition or it could be, you know. All things considered. All things considered <laughs> from NPR News. You know, I'm as revolted. You're going to do that. It's not me, but it's going to be you. Um, and that's that's the joy to see what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And we again, we think that based on what we're teaching you here, it's possible. A hundred percent. Thank you. That, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I try to manifest here in this space where I get to practice talking to people, learning their stories and sharing them in their own capacity. 
Well, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. Um, but again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your afternoon um, and sitting down and chatting with me, telling your story, and hopefully who's ever listening getting a little bit of inspiration out of your story. Okay. Just promise me if you ever <laughs> do get it to NPR, um, maybe you can invite me back when you are an NPR host. If it's happening, and we're pinky promising Ooh, for the people who promise. are listening. I got a nine-year-old. <laughs> a pinky promise is like you might as well... It might as well be like tablets from God, right, to <laughs> to the Jewish people. So, all right, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Well, again, thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, that's all we have for you this week on ENN Radio. Subscribe to ENN Radio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us on social media at Elon News Network. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.